Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today, I'm delighted to once again have a regular contributor to this podcast, Greg Thomas, right here on The Cubic Report. Greg is a business consultant, author, keynote speaker, and a personal life coach that I have known for a long, long time. As a reminder, you can learn more about Greg's training skills on his YouTube site. Simply type in Leadership Excellence on the YouTube homepage search bar, and you'll find him. Today, we continue our discussion on servant leadership. So, Greg, welcome back. Well, thank you, Vic. I guess uh, in this podcast, I've become kind of like a bad habit. I keep coming back. Well, you've come back here. I'm not sure if it's <laughs> seven or eight, eight times, but we've been on this series since August. So we've been wow. here for half a year. And I remember when we, when we started about uh, managing, mm -hmm. making life's puzzles pieces fit. And we talked about leadership begins with you managing and leading yourself. Last time we discussed what servant leadership actually looks like in an organization. Then we compared and contrasted some of the differences in a servant leadership culture versus an autocratic culture. Today, I would like to ask a few questions prompted by our previous podcasts, and then later on, discuss some of the well-known organizations that practice servant leadership. So Greg, is autocratic leadership ever a valid or the best type of leadership? Well, Vic, that's a very good question. And there are times when it absolutely is. Autocratic leadership is valid during a time of a genuine crisis. I'll give you some examples. If you're in an airplane and an airplane begins to have mechanical problems, you need the people who are the most talented, who are trained to handle that kind of situation, dramatically intervene for the safety of the passengers. And yes, uh, it's okay then to be rude. It's okay to be pushy. It's okay to be autocratic and seize control because after all, you're trying to save lives. Another example would be uh, a structural collapse in a society where you have anarchy. You have rioting in the streets. You need true decisive action in order to save lives. Again, that's a genuine crisis. Look at uh, if you can remember back 9-11 uh, and some of the things that were done on 9-11 when we had a very terrible, uh, serious terrorist attack here in the United States, there was some dramatic action taken that very day and the following days to try to save lives, to uh, try to heal a nation that was wounded from an unexpected attack. And uh, some of that was autocratic type leadership, including the mayor of New York City at the time. And again, that is uh, totally acceptable in a genuine crisis where you're trying to save lives and trying to uh, salvage a situation that's turned very negative. But the key, the key to the whole thing is that autocratic leadership must cease when the crisis is over. I've known some individuals who manufacture a continuous crisis in order to maintain their autocratic power. It's always the gun lap. They have a continuous gun lap uh, in order to, to control people, in order to be autocratic, in order to manipulate people to get to do the things that they want them to do. So the key to understanding that is when the crisis is ended, that you return once again to servant leadership, which is the best form of leadership to have during normal time. That's not always 
easy to do because a person enjoys the power, enjoys mm-hmm. people snapping to attention, enjoys yes. the control, oh, yeah. and is very reluctant to give it up. There's a saying mm-hmm. that generals make bad presidents because <laughs> they're so used to ordering people around that they just don't like the more of the collegial form of rulership or leadership. And back to them, it's probably rulership, but it really should be leadership to uh, regulate or to govern their particular area of dominion. Well, sure. And if I can just deviate a second, Mm -hmm. that's what made uh, George Washington such a great general and president, because following the example of Cincinnati, he gave up power twice. When he was the general after winning the Revolutionary War, he could have become King George, and he gave up his military generalship uh, back to Congress, and he went home. And then after serving a couple of terms as president of the United States, once again, he could have had himself declared King George the first. But no, he went back to the plow. He went back to his home. So that's why he stands out as such an incredibly great individual, because even though he was a good general, had the instincts of a general, knew how to command and control when it was necessary, he also willingly gave up that control and that power. Well, I know that servant leadership and being able to be that way is a very, very big part of it. Winston Churchill, when he stepped away from being Mm -hmm. a very, very important person, very key person in the Allied victory over Nazis, over the Nazis, over the Axis powers, said that after he had stepped away from being where he was, he was actually promoted. <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, serving can be very difficult. It was it was one of them. I think it was Sam. It might have been um, John Adams, who told Thomas Jefferson when Jefferson was replacing him as president that uh, you know you may think you're happy, but in essence, he said, uh, "I'm giving all this up. I'm the happiest man in the world." Because it can be a very stressful. It can be an incredible burden of being in those levels of responsibility. In government. I know that too that that could be intoxicating to a person to be the one mm-hmm. to whom people turn to and turn to with respect automatically, whether it's genuine or not. Yeah. Greg, sometimes an attempt to establish servant leadership fails. Why is that? Well, that also is another very good question. And there have been some complete studies on this very question, why servant leadership fails, because a lot of organizations see the wisdom in it and they try to institute servant leadership in their culture. And sometimes it fails and it fails miserably. And there are a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, sometimes it just becomes a buzzword. And a brief fad, I mean, fads occur in organizations and terms and phrases, uh, just like in our culture in general. And many times an organization picks up the buzzword servant leadership and they use it for a while and they put it in their newsletters and they talk about it. And then a few months later, they just go on to something else and it never really becomes part of a change process. It never becomes part of their culture. Sometimes the executive team does not really buy into the philosophy for a few reasons, and some of those reasons may include uh, they're very control-oriented, and they don't want to give that up. We were just talking about that a few minutes ago. Sometimes they're unwilling to change themselves. They'd like everyone else to change and become servant leaders, but they themselves 
want to continue the way they are. And sometimes they're unwilling to change the culture because servant leadership is a culture in which it's no longer based on fear. And frankly, uh, autocratic leaders know that fear is a powerful tool to control people. So they really want to have a fear-based culture within their organization because it's a lot easier to control and manipulate people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some don't want a culture of accountability uh, in the executive team. Uh, Again, we talked about that a a few uh, episodes back, but that's also a common problem. A lot of executives think servant leadership can be instituted by simply creating a written policy or maybe adding it uh, to their mission statement. And then some even go and hybridize it. They try to rename it as if they have uh, something that's better than servant leadership. And again, all of those things are just on the surface and uh, that's not really going to change the culture. It's not going to create servant leadership in the organization. Uh, executives may personally set a good example, but maybe and sometimes they don't mentor or teach servant leadership so it doesn't go beyond the executive team and it has to permeate the entire organization. They need to set the right example, the first example, but they also need to teach and mentor it to others. In some organizations, they want to continue to reward the politicians rather than those who embrace servant leadership. And they want to continue to reward ineffectiveness over talent. And therefore, the most talented people in the organization move on where they uh, want to be appreciated. And sometimes busyness is re- is rewarded uh, instead of truly being productive and getting the right things done. So for all of these reasons, they really don't want to change the culture. They want to reward all of the wrong things instead of servant leadership. And servant leadership is a lot like freedom. It must be reaffirmed, and it has to be bestowed to each generation in an organization. Each generation of leaders and followers have to be mentored and taught, and it has to be reaffirmed as you go from one generation to another. So servant leadership can not only fail to be established, but it can actually go back. And you may recall we talked a couple of episodes ago about the struggles of uh, Southwest Airlines. And uh, years ago, they were the the pinnacle, the classic example of true servant leadership. And we all know about the struggles they have had recently with the airlines. So again, you you have to have constant vigilance, uh, constant teaching and mentoring, uh, reaffirming servant leadership in every possible way in an organization. Yeah, I was gonna say too, is, uh... You know, we have come from an organization, you and I are both very well aware of this, that had one style of leadership. Mm -hmm. And then we had a transition in our organizations. You you and I have both transitioned. And Mm -hmm. the older older organization, I don't believe, at least at the higher levels, was servant-oriented. It was very, very concerned about trappings of of their position. And uh, unfortunately, when there were changes in in uh, jobs and, and status and everything, some people mm-hmm. even dropped out, became became bitter and angry. But some, yeah, yeah. but some people actually, you know, who transitioned to the new, it was very interesting. Is that we established ourselves upon servant leadership. We had a servant leadership model, mm-hmm. and and these older people, these people that came from another culture, really had a hard time with that. 
I mean, they struggled, they talked, they, they said, this is not exactly what we want. You found out further that they expected certain trappings even in the new organization. They wanted first-class travel. They wanted to have special privileges and perks. That was extremely important to them. Now, I've been in an organization where I have worked with leaders, with people who were high management. Some were that way, but usually you don't get close to those people. But I did mm -hmm. get close. I did get close to one person who was very oriented towards serving people around him, serving mm. as, as serving little people. He was always on the watch for people who were excluded. He wanted to include them. He looked for people who were vulnerable in his area. He looked for people who were disadvantaged. He taught his children to have a project of having some person that they kind of looked after and wrote letters to. That's the kind of uh, leadership that I feel is very good for organization to who, who are effective in serving, and it makes all sides feel good. Sure. Right. You know, you reminded me of, of something, Vic, and that is how hard for, for some people whose entire identity is in a title or in some per perceived power that they have in their minds, servant leadership is an affront to them. You and I both attended a convention a number of years ago where a keynote speaker was Dr. Howard Baker, who I consider to be one of my mentors, particularly on the subject of servant leadership. And people got and walked out. He's giving a <laughs> keynote address and people literally walked out of the hall because they were so challenged by the concept of servant leadership. So if, if someone has their entire identity, their lifetime identity into some title or some perceived superiority that they think they are or they have, uh, they're not going to accept servant leadership. And I do remember that very, very well. People walked out. In fact, beyond walking out, they talked about it for months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they grew, oh, oh, I'm sure they did. They grumbled and complained. So it really boils down to the fact that you have to change the culture, the mindset that exists within the organization, what's being rewarded, what's being promoted, what's being mentored and taught on a daily basis by example, by internal training programs, and it has to be the servant leadership model. Peter Drucker once said that culture each strategy for lunch. Now, obviously, both are important strategy and culture. But what he was trying to say here is like an engine and wheels on a car, you have to have both. But if you have a dysfunctional, selfish culture, it's going to destroy the most brilliant strategy you could possibly create. The strategy is going to fail because it doesn't have the culture behind it to push it and to guide it and direct it to be successful. It doesn't have the right perspective. It doesn't have the right philosophy in order to push it past the finish line. W. Edwards Deming also said once that a bad system will beat a good person every time. Mm. And he was absolutely right. Again, if you have a dysfunctional culture, if people are command and control oriented, if they're politicians, if they're always trying to put someone else down to make themselves look better, make themselves look important, then you have a bad system. And even if you bring in good people, they will be beaten down, they will be suppressed, and 
frankly, many of the most talented won't put up with it very long. They'll leave. They'll go on and do something else. So you have to deal with beginning to change the culture, and that comes from the heart. Servant leadership is a it's heart science. That's something else, another phrase that Dr. Baker has used. It's heart science. It's a change of heart. Mm-hmm. It's not a buzzword. It's not just something you talk about. It's predominantly coming from a love of other people, the desire to give, the desire to serve, and to lead while you're also mentoring and guiding and teaching others as part of a continuous process. So those are some of the reasons why servant leadership fails. And I'm a member of the Rotary Club. Service above self is one of the uh, mantras and one of the themes. And we're always working towards that. And one interesting factor about this is, is that many of the members of the Rotary Club are leaders in their own right, but we're all equal. When we come into Rotary Club, you know, we are mm-hmm. all, all equal. And so when we have a project, such as we had one for an organization called Give Like a Mother, help this organization to provide items of everything from clothing, uh, everything else to uh, needy women. We all came there together and we all worked together as equals. Did we change the world? Not really, we didn't do very much. You know, we spent an hour there, but it was all these people mm-hmm. who had these positions and I was, my job was to sort shoe sizes, you know. Okay, yeah. And, but the thing is, is that for weeks and weeks after that, this organization wrote to us and said, it was so good to see people who are community leaders come together and show care for people like this. It had a lasting effect. So you were saying about example, that example, of caring for people in the community who are the lesser of the community from the standpoint of economics is very, very valuable. Thank you for setting that kind of an example. We certainly need to see more of that in our organizations. And again, a lot of servant leader organizations give back to the community. They're not so inclusive that it's everything about their own and their own company. They do a lot of things to give back to the community because they're a part of the community. Wherever they're located, wherever their employees reside, they're part of the community. And as we spoke about in a previous episode, people in your community, people who sell things to you, it may not even be part of your organization, but sell things to you, are part of the stakeholders of the organization. So they're all valuable, and they're all the kind of people that we should strive to serve. Greg, what are some modern, successful organizations who have adopted servant leadership? Oh, okay. That's a great question, and I'd like to talk about that for a while. First, to get a little bit of background before we we give some organizational names. From my personal experience, smaller organizations have an easier time creating a servant leadership culture. It seems like the larger you get, or particularly the more rapid you grow, the more difficult it is to hire quality people who are going to thrive in a servant leadership culture. So there are literally thousands of organizations of which most people have never heard of that are servant leadership organizations. Many are family-owned businesses. Many are small churches. Uh, There are hospitals. There are nonprofit organizations. There are all kinds of smaller organizations, again, literally thousands, far too many for me to mention 
Um, you'd have to have five or six additional podcasts just to mention them all. And the ones I'm going to mention a little later on, I'm specifically mentioning only because it's just a sample, only because they are names that people would recognize and could relate to. So it's an important key to hire the right people and hire people who are talented, have a positive and productive attitude or a good fit in your organization. So a key to be a really great servant leadership organization is to hire the right people, people who are going to thrive in that kind of an organization and to avoid people who have an agenda who want to be political. And some people are just like that. Some people want to be competitive because mm -hmm. to them it's, it's a game. <clears throat> and so they want to be hired so they can uh, upset the organization so they can, they can try to make their mark in the organization. So it's very important to hire the right people. And as one becomes a large organization, it becomes more and more difficult to hire the right kind of people. And if you grow too fast, you begin to cut corners to get the people that you need. One mm -hmm. of the aspects of my business is I do pre-employment assessments for employers throughout the United States. I have clients in Washington State and all the way over to the East Coast and everywhere in between. And it's it's a pre-employment test that, that tests people's uh, mental aptitudes and also their personality dimensions so that they can hire the right people. Mm -hmm. And I cringe sometimes in the past when I have a client who's just growing dramatically and they'll use the phrase to me like, you know, I need bodies. Well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, the question should be, are they really a good fit for your organization? And people get desperate when they need people, when they're growing dramatically, and they may end up hiring the wrong kind of people who are going to upset or destroy the culture. And if it's a servant leadership culture, that's something that you most certainly uh, don't want to happen. That is so very true. If you hire somebody too quickly without fully knowing, first of all, their background, mm -hmm. their full record, and really how much what they told you is self-referenced or how much is it from others. And then, mm -hmm. and then, yep. they, they, then they get into a position and then they start acting in a way that you are just absolutely dumbfounded about. And you tell yourself, we, we married the wrong woman. <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> what, what do we do now? And it's just yeah. something which is very, very important to be able to get straight, to, to get really a proper, true assessment. And I know that with Leadership Excellence, we have really appreciated the work that you have done in the pre-assessment because it's been so very, very helpful to understand Wonderful. those things. Yeah, I mean, you get to know a lot more about a person before you hire them, and no one's perfect. What it's going to help someone to do, actually, is if you do decide to hire them, you're going to know where to begin to mentor them from day one, because it's going to tell you not only their strengths and talents, but it's going to tell you their personal challenges. Mm -hmm. And some of them may be personality. It may be they're a lone wolf rather than a team player, but they may have a lot of other qualities that would make them a good fit. So rather than spending three months to six months to figure out what their weaknesses are or what their growth areas are, you know that from day one with a pre-employment assessment. So you're able to begin working with them immediately well, uh, after they're hired. Well, I'll have to say for what you have done in your work, and I don't know the full extent of all the seminars and all the products that you offer, but this one 
was extremely valuable and one that I would be one who could vouch for and endorse. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. So one of the ways that we determine um, servant leadership organizations is to take a look at some companies that are considered the best companies to work for. And there's actually a uh, conglomerate called Fortune. You've heard of Fortune magazine, I'm sure, right? And they come out with an annual 100 best companies to work for. A lot of these companies are brand names that anyone would recognize, and a number of them are not brand names, but yet they are considered part of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for. And most years, not every year, but most years, over 20% of Fortune magazine's top 100 best companies to work for are those who publicly subscribe to servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And just, I thought I'd just spend a minute so that you can understand how Fortune magazine comes up with this evaluation. Here's their method. So they evaluate and they certify thousands of organizations. Uh, in the, it's the largest ongoing annual workforce study that's conducted in the United States. And the last year, for example, they, it was based on 870,000 employee survey responses. And they represented more than 6.1 million employees. And again, it happens to be the largest ongoing annual workforce study, uh, what Fortune magazine does. And so this survey enables employees to share confidential feedback and information about their organization's culture by responding to six statements on a five-point scale. And then there are two open-ended questions they have to answer. So what I'm trying to say here is that the company itself cannot lobby to become part of this list. This is employee driven. This is something that is the result of the employees filling out these surveys. And uh, I like what Fortune says about what they're trying to achieve here. I'm just going to read this quote from them. Quote, collectively, These statements describe a great employee experience defined by high levels of trust, respect, credibility, fairness, pride, and camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're looking for in order to uh, become part of and be accepted as part of the 100 best places to work for. Then on top of that, there's another designation that's called the Great Place to Work Certified. So you get this little banner, and this is uh, separate from what we were just talking about, but some of these companies that are on the 100 best companies to work for also qualify to become Great Place to Work Certified. And for this, the company is more involved. They actually answer six essay questions that provide insight into how and why the organization is great for all of its employees and all of its people. Uh, To be part of that, you have to at least have 1,000 U.S. employees, so that eliminates many smaller businesses, and you cannot be a government agency. So I'll give you an example of some – here was a good year. In 2017, Fortune Magazine's annual list of the 100 best companies to work for had five of the top 10 best companies to work for 
identified themselves as practicing servant leadership. Now it's not high, that high every year. The you know things change and uh, methodologies change. For example, in this last year in 2022, number one in the entire list was Cisco Systems. They're a digital communications company. Oh yeah. And if you go to their website, you read their employee blog. A lot <laughs> of their employees say that the company is servant leadership, even though Cisco themselves uses other terms and they don't specifically make the claim to be a servant leadership uh, organization. Their employees claim that they're a servant leadership organization, and they were number one on the fortune list in 2022. Number three is uh, Wegmans Food Market, uh, and the number 23 is Marriott International. So th these are some who made the list, uh, the most recent list for 2022. Um, like to talk about a few other organizations. And again, these are kind of big names and that's why I'm choosing uh, these to talk about. The first one is J.M. Schmucker, which is an Ohio company. I live in Ohio and full disclosure, uh, they happen to be a client of mine. I've done a communication training there, so mm -hmm. I want to be upfront with full disclosure. In 2006, they were number eight on the Fortune list. They obviously make uh, foods, uh, jams and jellies, and own a number of food companies. They were founded in 1897. They employ over 7,000 people, and uh, most employees say it is really a great place to work for. Mm -hmm. Another one is Synovus Financial. They happen to be um, $56 billion in assets. They employ over 5,000 people. A centerpiece of their culture is what they call the Synovus Culture of the Heart, and in which they ensure that people know that they're loved and cared for above and beyond work. Um, they care for more than what they're just doing in their job in their daylight hours. They also happen to be certified as the great place to work certification for 2022-2023, and they are a recognized servant leadership culture. There's the container store who's been on that list of the Fortune 100 list for many, many years. Have you ever had a chance to stop in a container store, Vic? They're a storage and organization uh, focus within their stores. Not not that, the container store? Yeah, it's simply <laughs> called the container store. And they were started in uh, 1978. And they have $900 million in sales. It just staggered me. Mm. Uh, for 2019, they also have 5,000 employees in 93 locations. So what kind of, conta of containers? What kind of containers? All kinds of little plastic, oh. you name it, they have it. They just right. have all kinds of plastic <clears throat> and wooden. And if, if it's something you want to contain and store material, uh, they've got it. The only containers Go I ahead. know are 40-foot, 20-ton containers <laughs> all the humanitarian aid overseas. <laughs> I, that's right. That's right. Due to life nets. Yeah. yeah, well, these are a little bit smaller here in the container store. Right. But for people who really like organization, who are into organizing their business or their stock room or their home or whatever, it's just a great place to shop. And there's Aflac. Aflac, the seen, duck. Yeah, we've <laughs> all seen the duck quack. Uh, they've continually been on the list, uh, servant leadership oriented. Uh, they have 60,000 licensed agents. Their revenues uh, are $22 billion. And as of 2019, they had 11,700 employees. So you notice 
the ones that I've been mentioning here are mm. pretty large. Mm-hmm. And then there's Vanguard Investments, mm-hmm. obviously an investment company. They have $6.9 billion in revenue, 18,800 employees. They also are servant leadership uh, oriented. Mm-hmm. Another one is routinely on the 100 best companies to work for is uh, TD Industries. I'd like to read you their press release okay. from about a year ago. This was a press release they had April 14th, 2021. It says TD Industries celebrates 75 years of excellence through servant leadership and trusted partnerships as the premier mechanical construction and facility services contractor founded as Texas Distributors in 1946 by Jack Lowe Sr., the founder's son, Jack Lowe Jr., joined Valerie Sokolovsky for a special segment podcast. There you go, another podcast, Mm. Vic, entitled it Doing It Right as a kickoff to their 75th anniversary. In the past, I don't know if they're still doing it, I assume they are, but in the past, they would use Robert Greenleaf's essay, The Servant as Leader, as a blueprint for their culture. Every TD employee would complete a servant leadership training program and participated in servant leadership dialogue groups. So that's their level of commitment for a long time to servant leadership. And one reason why they over and over again keep being on the Fortune 100 best companies to work for. Companies like uh, Southwest Airlines, and I I know they've had a black eye recently, and, and there's a good lesson from that, and that is you have to be very vigilant as you go through generational changes. There was a big generational shift at Southwest Airlines from its original founder who I think stepped aside in 2000, may have been 2001, Mm -hmm. that uh, Herb Kelleher left. And there was a generational shift. And obviously, a lot of things happened that caused the debacle that they had uh, recently with the snowstorm. They uh, had allowed their relationship with their employees to drift. They're having problems with the pilots union. I read a couple of weeks ago that there are some of their stewardesses that are picketing Uh, some of their facilities. They did not invest in the technology to keep up with a company that I think is about twice the size as it was in 2000. They didn't invest in the software and the technology to keep up with their growth. Uh, There's been a dramatic change from a servant leadership orientation to a CEO who kind of hides in the office. He's certainly not a Herb Kelleher, or Herb was known for sitting down and just having lunch with people. Anyone, he'd sit down and chat with them and have lunch with them. He was very approachable, uh, had a, a, a passion for people and servant leadership, and uh, the present CEO doesn't appear to have that kind of uh, relationship. He's a financial wizard, and uh, you know I think he comes from a financial background and. Uh, he's focused on maximizing shareholder return, and in a few episodes previously, we talked about where that goes, where that leads to, right? When you're looking at <laughs> shareholders rather than stakeholders, mm-hmm. when you have that philosophy, and unfortunately, it resulted in uh, some pretty difficult situations for Southwest Airlines. Yeah, if you're not there, Star- yeah, go ahead. and if you're not there for, you know, for your employees. Mm-hmm. You know, through the good times, that may that may work, 
because the good times kind of carry everybody. But when bad times come, those employees that have been building up of resentment or lack of teamwork will turn. And that's what happened partially in the Southwest Airlines thing. They weren't there to really kick in mm-hmm. when, when things went, went down. Another example would be of this is Starbucks, which again, 20 years ago with its original founder uh, would have been considered a model servant leadership organization. He left for a while. Uh, Howard has come back, Howard Schultz. He's come back, but they have union problems. They have Starbucks facilities that are unionizing because people are unhappy. Um, So it's a real struggle and they lost some of the momentum that they had in the past. And these are these are still fine organizations, Starbucks, Southwest Airlines, and they can come back. I mean, they, they can uh, go back to their roots and what made them great in the first place. But right now they're struggling and it just reminds us of how vigilant you have to be with servant leadership as you have generational changes as uh, the, the CEO or the president, oftentimes the founder leaves and gives the reins to someone else, how you have to be so very diligent to mm-hmm. continue that momentum because it doesn't take long to go backward. Well, some organizations you know, are there for the bottom line and others are for the purpose of being there for the people. I mean, they're a mm-hmm. people's organization. And if you get sure. those things mixed up, you can get into big, big trouble. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's been quite, quite a common problem. So to give you again, just a small sample of some Servant leadership organizations that uh, you, you might recognize, Toro. Mm-hmm. I have Toro tools in my uh, garage as we speak. American Family Insurance, Medtronic, uh, Herman Miller, Synovus, uh, SAS, Zappos.com, Regional Equipment, which is also known as REI, the Container Store. I mentioned Whole Foods Market. Uh, which may have been purchased by uh, Amazon. I mm-hmm. didn't uh, follow through with that. I mentioned the Marriott International already, Nordstrom's uh, Men's Warehouse was also going to been taking their licks and going through some challenges lately. Uh, Nordstrom, Popeye's, Louisiana Chicken. Uh, how about Chick-fil-A? Uh, who doesn't enjoy a really good, tasty chicken filet sandwich, right? <laughs> uh, Service Master, U.S. Cellular. Uh, 7-Eleven, Azusa Pacific University. So it uh, Mm -hmm. can also include educational institutions, not just big corporations, the Catholic Release Services of Baltimore, Maryland, Darden Restaurants, which uh, owns Red Lobster, and the Olive Garden is Mm -hmm. a servant leadership organization. Medical Communities, Kaiser uh, Permanente is servant leadership. Keller Williams Realty. So there's a realtor, Louisiana Hospital in Baton Rouge, Marion University, Vanderbilt University. So you can see some educational institutions. The WD-40 company is a servant leadership led. Uh, Whitepages.com in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, Another food conglomerate, Yum Brands, that include KFC and Pizza Hut and Long John Silver's. Uh, Again, these are just some examples, some small samples of uh, thousands of organizations 
most of which would mean nothing to you and I because they're local or they just serve a small community. The ones that I mentioned, I specifically mentioned because they're names that we've heard before, either in the educational community or the retail industry or something that would, through advertising, that we would recognize those names. So uh, servant leadership is a part of many, many organizations and uh, it has already, at 50 years, begun to dramatically change how organizations function and how organizations treat their employees. Many organizations wouldn't consider themselves to be servant leadership organizations, but yet they give more vacation time than they used to. Many of them give a better severance package if there's a layoff than they used to. Uh, many of them give more of a focus on employee training than they used to. And all of that is driven by the change in culture that's occurred through the positive influence of servant leadership. And Greg, wouldn't in you contrast say, autocratic leadership? Go ahead. Okay, and wouldn't you say that uh, that servant leadership spirit and aura is not just at bit management. It's got to go all the way to the very top. When they talked about Southwest Airlines and their adoption of servant leadership in the example by Kelleher, it was something that wasn't just some regional employee. It was the man at the very top was able to share that, was able to radiate that type of spirit that then permeated the entire organization, the very top echelons of communication, of deeds, like you said, you know, extra benefits or extra ways that you can serve and give that really bring out the good spirit. <clears throat> Absolutely. And that's why we have to lead by example. And that's exactly why we began our discussions about personal leadership, Vic, because it all begins one person at a time. When you are blessed to be in a leadership position in, or, in an organization and you decide to use the disciplines the compassion and all the positive qualities that we discussed in personal leadership development to be the difference, mm -hmm. to be the change in the organization, to be the example. And that is just so important. I, I, I wanted to mention an example of what is not servant leadership. And it isn't my intention to rag on, on Google, but I read about this uh, recently, and it uh, was uh, an email sent by a Google engineer, and I'm not going to mention his name because I don't think that's relevant. But here's what happened to him a few weeks ago. He, he went to Twitter to announce that he'd been informed of his firing via an unexpected email, and that it's hard for him to believe that he was laid off via an email after spending 20 years at the company. Uh, he, he said he, he wasn't sure the kind of criteria that Google used to determine who got laid off and who didn't. But before his hire, firing, he said he had never had a sense that his job was in jeopardy. Uh, late last year, one, one gentleman, and again, I won't mention who he is, even though it's in one of the videos on my YouTube site, he terminated people on a Zoom call. Everybody that they wanted to lay off, they gave him a Zoom uh, invitation. And so he goes on there and says, if you're on this call, you're being laid off and uh, basically have a nice day. <laughs> so those are examples of what not to do, what is not servant leadership. 
you know, termination is difficult, particularly for someone who's faithfully served you for 20 years and never been given any indication as an engineer uh, that uh, someone wasn't happy with his work and to go ahead and rudely just abruptly terminate him on an email. I just can't believe the level of insensitivity. And there's absolutely positively uh, no excuse for that. And one of the most hateful phrases of all, nothing personal, just business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. I hate that. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the end of this, this comments that he had, uh, here, here was his impression. He said, when all is said and done, he says, uh, unfortunately for Google, the impersonal and seemingly non-performance-based decisions that lay off employees have led some former workers saying Google's actions show it views employees as, quote, 100% disposable. In other words, you have no value. You're just something we can use as long as we want to use you, and then we can just dispose of you at our convenience. Yeah, and that, again, that is so anti uh, the philosophy and against the philosophy philosophy of servant leadership. A commodity, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Greg, do you want to have some wrap-up comments? Well, sure. Yeah, okay. well, we're, we're kind of done. I guess I could uh, maybe prompt us a little bit about what we could talk about next time. Absolutely, because I was going to say that, uh, but I would, I would like to know what you have awaiting us. Yeah. Well, thank you, Vic. Uh, here's, with your invitation, what I would like to talk about next time is how we can improve our personal productivity, how we can become more fulfilled in, uh, in establishing our day, how to have a great day, how to do the things that we need to do to get the most out of each and every day, and at the end of the day, feel like it was productive, that we got a lot of things done, and feel fulfilled that our lives are worth living, and we're enjoying and getting the most out of our life. So, uh, with your permission, I'd like to talk about that next time. Absolutely. That's a very good subject. I think that people will look forward to it. Great. Well, Greg, as always, it's been wonderful talking to you. You're very easy to, if I could call it, interview, because we both kind of <laughs> talk here and try to present a topic uh, of interest in this particular podcast format. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome, Vic. Thank you for the invitation, as always. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at vcubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.